Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Okay, it's been a while since we did one of these. How does this work again? <laughs> um, I don't. I have no idea. It was not in the documentary series I watched over the weekend, so mm. I guess I watched the wrong programming. Hmm. Well, we are we are short a man today. Patrick is not with us, uh, so we'll have to like soldier on without him, I suppose. Um. All right. So I had the question from the previous episode. And the only reason I remember it is because it's in print from our last episode, <laughs> the blurb I wrote. Um, <laughs> so if you had been given the task of renaming the NWHL because a few weeks ago they had renamed their, or they rebranded to the Premier Hockey Federation, what would you have named it? Okay. Thinking off the top of my head, I, peel back the curtain i think we mentioned it we we usually do a post wrap where we chat sometimes we collaborate with answers and i remember patrick had a great great answer for this the united hockey federation just <laughs> just swap out the premiere mm-hmm. right because we were going off on on uh, star trek <laughs> we're, we're, yeah because of the federation mm-hmm. um United, whatever. But then, I mean, UHF, the Weird Al jokes, the the built-in things from the movie. Right. Would have been fun for a while. Um, I was just going to say, let's just call it Premier Hockey, so it's PH, and the state of the organization is uh, measured on a scale from 1 to 14 at all times. And, uh, <laughs> yes, that's the best science joke I could come up with. Mm-hmm. At least I wrote down two weeks ago. See, so, yeah, I think they missed a huge opportunity here. Big, huge. Instead of, instead of going with the Premier Hockey Federation, they should have just called themselves the Hockey League. Ooh. Nobody else has that. It's like, because everybody feels like they have to put a name in front of it. It's like, why? Why do you have to? Just call it the Hockey League. Or, you know, if you must, the Professional Hockey League, you know. Um, And you have to have the V, like, you know, the Ohio State. You have to have the V in capital, the T-H, the T, I guess. The T in capital, so it's the Hockey League, or if you'd rather, the Professional Hockey League. Because, yeah, they wanted to go gender neutral, which I can respect. But, you know, go big or go home. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I also thought about just Premier Ice. Let's just drop hockey. Let's just reinvent the sport and give it a new name. Given how much um, baggage comes along with the term hockey, as I uh, hold in my hand a copy of Game Misconduct from Evan F. Moore and Giovanna Sean, um, that I'm looking forward to cracking open this week, talking about the uh, how uh, hockey uh, has a toxic culture and how they uh, 
suggests to fix it. Mm. The only way you can fix it is getting rid of most of the hockey men. <laughs> yeah, most of them. You have to just throw them all out and be like, all right, we're bringing in people with a fresh perspective and we're just going to do this better. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe maybe someone with ideas like Robin Leonard. Maybe. Although, oh, that was a... Uh... It's been quite a 24 hours following that <laughs> as, as we sit here and record at, you know, 416 Eastern on Sunday, October 3rd. Um, Leonard is just. How would you describe what he's doing right now? Because I haven't been able to really put it into words for myself. He he is taking a good hard look at the sport that he plays in with a critical eye of an outsider is what he's doing instead of like being absorbed by what's going on around him in the little bubble that he lives in along with you know 750 some odd other NHLers he's like taking a mental step back and comparing what culture, or I shouldn't even say culture, how the NHL operates, its teams operate, versus how a corporation, a company operates. At least that's what I got out of it. Yeah, and I'm sure he has some of his own personal stories to tell, but he really seems to be speaking for other players who just don't want to say anything right now about certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when he first started commenting on Twitter yesterday, I thought he was commenting in um, directly talking about uh, Duncan Keith's press conference where he basically said, yeah, I was forced to take the vaccine. Um, and nobody was supporting me in that. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're doing the basic bare minimum. You don't get kudos for that. Sorry. Yeah. And criticize the way he started out very vague. Um, Leonard did in basically calling out his own players association. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a group of individuals that we can say really don't benefit anyone, but the, the rich players in the league. Like if you have secured your big contract, you're protected outside of that. Yeah. They only care about money. The NHLPA is only about money. They don't care about anything else. Contracts. That's it. But even then, I mean, they do a bad job kind of securing the bag for their their members and leave a lot on the table. It's just what can you get today versus what can we get kind of long term and how can we hit some higher goals? And I think we're kind of seeing that in all these small little issues where I'm not surprised to hear Leonard bring up issues of players being given 
prescription medication, uh, you know, without a prescription. I mean, by okay, non-medical so, professionals. I'm not so, surprised to hear that story. But so I I went to college. I was friends with a. Uh, she was in a master's program. I was friend with friends with a um, athletic trainer. And um, was friends for her with her for a number of years while she worked at universities and uh, minor league baseball teams. And, you know, while she was in college, she also worked with the, the sports teams at the university that we went to. And so I heard and saw a lot of things, especially in, in regards to. Uh, players and prescription medications. And this was 20 years ago, maybe 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Uh, and she was a, she was a good athletic trainer. She wasn't giving out things like candy. Like she had told me other, other trainers that she knew did. Um, but there's definitely a, a, you know, they have a team doctor, Everybody has a team doctor, right? Well, in a lot, and from what I understood and saw for myself in a lot of cases, these team doctors aren't terribly interested in the teams unless they have to be, right? They're a kind of an on-call situation. And so um, because of that, they tend to let the trainers make the decisions on who gets what in terms of medication, as they deem fit and necessary, mostly because the the team doctors are in it for the prestige of saying, oh, they are a team doctor, from what yeah, I can ben- tell. It would benefit their practice, ultimately. Right. And as as we saw with the, the uh, congressional hearing with uh, um, the Olympic gymnasts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unfortunately. But... Um, yeah. Anyway, so so they they kind of write a blank check and they they leave it up to an athletic trainer to determine who gets what. And the athletic trainer is not a professional doctor. They don't go through med school. They do go through pre-med um in undergrad that is a requirement, but they uh they are not a medical professional. They are basically the um, like an EMT or first aid type person, usually when it comes to teams, so that they can get the player to a medical professional who can therefore do what they need to do medically. Yeah, Jack Eichel kind of comes to mind, but um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, so they so there the system is broken and the system is broken in a lot of ways. One, teams don't want doctors making those determinations anyway because that interferes with bullying players into lineups even when they shouldn't be. And then, you know, two, they want they want someone there around every single day, their athletic trainer to make that determination and also because they can bully the athletic trainer into doing what they want, what they feel is right and necessary. And, you know, then the athletic trainer is, is pressured by, you know, the people they work, work for in 
to make athletes perform to the best of their ability when some of that may not be what they're qualified to do. And so there's a lot of broken disconnect things going on there. And basically it comes down to the player's health is not a priority. Getting a win is, and it doesn't matter what happens to the player because they are disposable. Somebody can, if they, if they can't do it, somebody else will, they'll just find someone else. And that's that. So, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on in the background that people don't hear or see. And, you know, they're just assuming that, that the players are getting whatever they want and, or the players are being pushed, whatever teams are telling them to push. It's kind of a combination of both. Um, you know, talking to athletic trainers, you get an understanding that there's a lot of a lot of side deals going on between players in regards to medications and things, and not just among players on that one team, but players among different teams, and mm-hmm. and so it's it's a really not pretty part of the game, and yeah. but it happens at every level from college up, yeah. in, junior hockey, college up. And in other sports as well. This is yes. not a oh yeah no yeah unique she, phenomenon. No, she she like I said, she was doing she was you know working with college teams and minor league baseball teams, and college teams of all stripes, not just like football or or whatever. So and you know she knew a lot of people who worked in the field, and so yeah she she told me all kinds of stories and. And that's just how it is. And it's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, over the summer and over the past year, we've had many wild tangent episodes. Wait, who us? Um, no, never, never. And I continue to go back to the idea that, you know, the only way to really fix or address these issues is to cut back on the number of games in the season, to reduce the compression so teams, medical professionals, trainers, one, just have a moment to breathe, and two, players are given a better chance to actually recover. That's never going to happen. I mean, the only way that could work is if they start, like, European leagues do, putting in breaks during the season. Yeah, which would, if they think, if they complain enough about the Olympic break that happens in February and how how disruptive it is, I mean, I can tell you, as a fan... Half the time, I'm burnt out by that time as well. So just the compression of going to a number of games as a former ticket holder, it just it catches up to you. And that's around the time where, you know, football is done for all intents and purposes. Basketball, at least college, is wrapping up. So you just have a professional slate of games taking up TV time. But I'm more inclined to go do something else for a little bit. And then hopefully by, you know, 
March 1st, okay, I'm, I'm re-engaged mentally. Yeah, I'm about the same. It's like I tend to burn out, burn out right around the All-Star game. Yeah, and, and, and how yeah. much worse is it going to be this year? Because everyone in every aspect of life is burnt out about something. Oh, Where, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... The problem in this case, I mean, because we can't get rid of all the hockey men because they are the problem. Um, but in this situation with trainers and medications and teams and team doctors and coaches and whatnot. God, don't even get me started on the coaches part of that. Um, oh, what, we might get to that. in a few minutes, <laughs> but We'll see. Um is the players need to stand up for themselves and for their health and Mm -hmm. the NHLPA leadership needs to change. And that, I mean, thankfully there's, there are guys like Jack Eichel and Robin Leonard and, and that crowd who are willing to speak out um, and try to, and even like Connor McDavid, you know, maybe not publicly, but behind the scenes, I've heard that, you know, he tends to speak yeah. out a lot about this stuff. And um, he's he's pick, he's picking and choosing a few issues now, mainly how penalties are called. That That's what he's going to speak out about today. I wonder what he's willing to speak out on in three, four months. Right. I mean, it's. It comes down to players need to look out for themselves because clearly um, the NHL is not going to. There's a there's a saying that um, know your limits because the takers don't have any. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the and that's been the situation that hockey players generally, I think, probably in every league are have always been in. Um, you know, keep your head down, do what you're told. And work hard and you'll get somewhere, you know, in the league or, you know, in the next league or whatever. Um, And I think the younger generation of players coming up are not willing to do that. Thankfully. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there is a con side to that as well, but I think the pro column Far outweighs the negatives, and I think the negatives can be dealt with easily. Because, um, like we were talking about how there may be a prescription problem in multiple sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are similar issues we're seeing being reported in the minor league baseball system, in the NWSL, different types of issues, but it's certain people in control, like the hockey men, just force you to bury your head and just get through basically get through criminal stuff being done to you as an athlete, Mm -hmm. especially in, in, in women's soccer's case after this past week. And it's just in that sport, the players were saying enough is enough. They were getting the ears of some pretty respected writers and details were coming out. So here's, and this is where I felt 
a little weird about Leonard, but you, you go ahead and oh, we so can here's that. here's the difference between women's sports and men's sports. For men, athletics can be their entire identity, and for them to not be an athlete can be devastating, and so players tend to respond way better to threats and bullying and abusiveness and such from, you know, people in power, coaches and scouts and, and whatnot, GMs, et cetera, and so on, uh, parents for that matter, um, because they're afraid of that being taken away. And then they won't know what to do with themselves. And that starts at a young age. You know, athletics is what boys are supposed to do. That's that's part of the identity of being a boy. If you're not an athlete, then who are you? You know, and for girls and women, that's not the case. More often than not, a woman's going to look at, you know, look at a situation, not be happy with it and speak out about it because she's had enough. And Mm -hmm. girls, um if they're, you know, in that situation where a coach is trying to push them into doing something they don't want to, girl is going to like, I don't need this and quit and walk away. Because for girls, sports are not part of their like personal identity. It's something they enjoy doing. It's something they want to be a part of. It's something that they want to like, you know, do for fun. But in the end, they can walk away because they know that they can live without it. And so that's why you see like the WNBA players speak out more than the NBA players or, you know, NWSL players speaking out more than an MLS player would. So so there's the the, you know, gender role thing that's involved, too. And that's that's why men have a harder time speaking out about these things than women do. Mm hmm where at least in the NWSL's case, they are seeing things happen. Whether it's a benefit to them as players moving forward, will they get feel more secure and comfortable in their game? Will it eventually lead to more lucrative career like the premier hockey federation is it is you know battling for that remains to be seen but i feel like there's enough public support behind them where i feel like they're heading in the right direction and to bring it back to robin leonard here here is someone who's he he has just said enough is enough and he has decided to make himself a target. And I think it's very intentional. I oh, think yeah. he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody keeps their mouth shut. Because they don't want to mm-hmm. be a target. They don't want to be be that guy. They don't want to be, you know, they, there's, again, it's that the hockey culture. And it, it happens in every sport. But it's particularly bad in hockey culture. And it's particularly bad in Canada where I think this is my personal speculation where um, boys at a relatively young age are broken, 
You know, it's like going into the military, you go through boot camp. The whole intention of boot camp is to break your spirit so you'll do what you're told without questioning it. And Mm -hmm. at some point in a boy's childhood, particularly in hockey, and I think particularly in Canada, that happens to them because it's easier for the adults to manage a group of 20, 30 boys who will just shut up and do what they're told. And so they learn from a young age to not put themselves, quote unquote, ahead of the team, which isn't really what's going on there. It's just... You don't, you know, you keep your mouth shut and play or else you're not going to be on this team, right? It's that whole threat of taking sports away from the boy. And so, you know, and that carries on. It's, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's like the military where where you can work your way up the chain, but in the end, are you really capable of thinking for yourself or are you just waiting for some, for orders, Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, hockey players keep their mouth shut and and conform and do what they're told and be like everyone else because they were taught at a young age that if they don't, they're not going to get to play. That's why it's important for players of a certain standing with a certain like celebrity about them to speak up about these things because no one else is going to. You're not going to see if. Uh, a fourth liner in the NHL, like say we're being abused and this is wrong because you know what? They're going to be sent to the AHL and then you know what? They're going to the ECHL and then you know what? They're going to Europe because mm-hmm. nobody wants that on their team. That's why you need Connor McDavid and Robin Leonard and God forbid Sidney Crosby to stand up and say, we're not doing this anymore. Nope, that's not within his programming. Nope. I mean, so it's like even even Jack Eichel, is, he's trying to toe that line of, of like, I'm not standing for this and I'm not speaking out about this. But, you, you know, he, but he keeps nibbling around the edges of it, so you know he's not happy with what's going on, no, even though he's and that's coming why right out he saying had, it. Yeah, he had his former representation – Put a little something out there. It didn't lead. It, it didn't put any pressure on the Buffalo Sabers. So then he changed course, and I'm sure one of the first things he he was told was, "You stay quiet. Mm-hmm. You, you were doing. You don't need to speak at this point." But he probably should. I oh, know he totally should. He totally should be. And this is another issue too, is because guys are used to being told what to do, where to go, and and how to do it. They mm-hmm. not everybody recognizes the fact that their agent works for them. They don't work for yeah. their agent. Their agent works for them and their agent should be doing what they're told, not what not the other way around like Jack Eichel's doing. Doing what he's told by his agent. Yeah. So Well I wonder how things would be different if, say, Jack Eichel was in a situation to Ben Simmons of the NBA, who is currently not in training camp with his team, and money is being withheld already. Mm -hmm. He was guaranteed a certain amount of money on, I believe, October 1st. He didn't get it. Jack Eichel showed up, took his physical. He's unable to play. He still collects a check. That might also just be a, a contract issue. 
Because in the NHL, they're guaranteed money no matter what, but I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the case in the NBA. No. I know it's not the case in the NFL. No, no. So, it's... I imagine we're going to see as we enter the final weeks of training camp and then you're down to your real 20 to 23 player rosters and everyone's kind of, all right, starts asking some questions. Like for years and years and years, we can look at certain members of the Chicago press and wonder how much of this did you know and why weren't you digging on all the skeletons in that organization's closet. Again, it's a power thing though. It's, Mm -hmm. it's no beat writer is going to risk his access to the team and the players by upsetting the team. So, I mean, you know, it's like, like, like you were saying before we started recording, yeah, preseason has pretty much been all the beat writers like just gushing about the fact that they have access to the players again, like face to face. And they're not going to like risk that it, by like saying you're being you're you know, these players were abused in Chicago. And let's give you the whole expose on that. <laughs> and when they are so ingrained in their own day to day grind and can't really take a step back and, and dig into things like a Katie Strang, for example, who is not currently on a beat, but she was a former beat writer. Mm-hmm. And she has the time to look and dig into things. Same as Rick Westhead or Megan Lindholm in the NWSL's case this week. So it's... I think one of the most infuriating things was hearing how the league wants to schedule an interview (laughs) and wants to do everything by some sort of formal process where where it's this is their performative thing. They will have a formal meeting and where nothing is accomplished and some things are put on a record. Oh, you saw the Akeem L.U. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And perhaps the NHL will feign interest, claim to investigate, and never get back to you for two years and hope the public attention just goes away. Right. That's exactly and, what their plan is. And this is why I brought up those beat writers. Luke, NHL's in a position where they could still lose way too much money this year if certain pressure points were poked. You know, believe it or not, I think Chicago's kind of teetering on a... They're basically stepped on the landmine, and it's just how long do they want to sit there with it. Um, Arizona is... For all their internal issues we heard about with their new ownership group dating back to February of this year. They've done four or five, six things, which sound great in contrast. Now they're not going to be a factor, you know, come the playoffs where stories really gain attention. So there, there's going to be no amount of change we're going to see in that organization. 
But I think there's a lot of little things. Like if we keep, if Robin Leonard keeps at this, because the league has no grounds to do anything. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hush it. Because similar to Daniel Carcillo, who I've questioned how he was speaking publicly. Not that he was, but it's just his tactics. Like, there are different ways to, I guess, get the public and larger entities kind of on your side while speaking public. Whereas his tactics, I think, burned several bridges for him. It maybe didn't help his cause at the beginning. So why haven't we heard a ton from Daniel Carcillo in the past few months? His name pops up here and there. At least with Robin Leonard being in the league, being the, the de facto starting goalie for Vegas. Some might say the best team in his division. He should be in the limelight. ESPN will be in Vegas for their season opener against the Kraken. So here's the, this is ultimately the problem is that the players in the media give the NHL too much power, Mm -hmm. way too much power. And, you know, the media needs to step back and realize that the NHL doesn't have anything without the media. And because, you know, it's like right now they're barely a, a blip in the NHL or in the in the United States. Excuse me. Um, they're still a niche sport for all that they like to say. They're one of the big quote unquote four. Um, and without the media, especially in the United States, they're not really going to go very far. Uh, the players, on the other hand, you know, again, without the players, they're not going to go very far. <laughs> so somehow the NHL has managed to convince the players the Players Association and the media that without without the NHL they are nothing. When in the in reality it's the other way around, and mm-hmm. um, and so you need players to speak out so that not so much the uh, um, the fans know what's going on, although that's also important, but so that the players, other players will be willing to stand up and say, yeah, you know, we agree with him. Um, I mean, you know, in a, in a, a union that's going, that has like 700, 800 players in it, you're not going to get 100% consensus among them all, but you can at least get like a majority in theory, you would think, God knows. Um <laughs> But but yeah, so it, it's there's a there's a perception of power that actually isn't reality that's going on that people don't understand that it's not reality. And of course, no one's going few, I guess I should say few have the courage to take a stand and say, no, we're not doing it the way the NHL wants to do it anymore. So, you know, I give Robin Leonard points because, like, you know, I don't agree with everything he has to say, but guys willing to speak up and and try to make everybody's lives better and putting his own career at risk for it 
and hopefully others will join him when they realize that the NHL is just, you know, blowing smoke. Yep. Speaking of blowing smoke, not Mm -hmm. to change topics, I have a live in-game update. The Los Angeles Angels 6, the, dare I say, um, Kyle Dubas' favorite baseball teams here, the Mariners 2, on the last day of their season. And I only bring this game up because on Friday, a media entity released a, a small little documentary about the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> and it, what's fascinating and this is, I'm not going to go into a review of everything. Um, I presume you didn't watch any of this, Cassie? No, I haven't. Um, it's. Boy, does it make the Toronto media look dumb in some aspects. Um, it's not all about Toronto. Um it's an interesting documentary. It, it's just like five 40 to 45 minute episodes. Uh, there's nothing earth shattering. Of course not. Cause they would never get the okay to have them broadcasted if there were. Which brings up a couple questions. I think if you were to read various reviews or, or hear various different th- things, kind of the star of the show is head coach Sheldon Keith. Um, basically they are highlighting times where he's mic'd up very early on in the truncated season that began in January. He identified the problems that were ultimately doomed the team in, you know, by game five, like he knew exactly what the problems were probably coming into training camp and he kept highlighting it and, and highlighting them. And it put certain, I think it put certain players in, a bad light. Um, and they, they, they tried to, you know, soften those edges a bit and not really throw anyone under the bus. But some of the interesting things that they did do was highlight kind of the trainers and the medical team and how they take care of the Toronto athletes. And certain players went on record and saying, it's amazing. Some of the stuff that we have access to where, uh, Wayne Simmons has a bruised or a broken bone in his wrist and some of the therapy techniques that he was getting, I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. When you work for a giant conglomerate, you, yeah, you have a little access to, to some things that the general public does not. And it was just fascinating how there was a lot in this documentary. I would have been shocked if the league actually signed off on. So when that, that respect, I, I'm actually kind of hopeful. Okay. These big, powerful media companies or giant monopolies in Amazon's case have a little power and sway over the league. Mm-hmm. And I and I brought up the joke because one of the last scenes, I think it was before Game Seven of Toronto's ultimate collapse. Kyle Dubas brings in Mitch Marner for a little interview, and he's sitting there in a camo. Uh, Mariner's hat, and I was like, wow. He must just be a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Because I think the reviews on him, one, will be a little mixed. 
Like he he and his coach seem to be in sync. They they seem to know how to work together well. But he is very much his coach's boss. Mm-hmm. Like he has Sheldon Keith's respect. But you just kind of look at some of the decisions he makes or the way he goes about things, and it doesn't paint him in the best light, in my opinion. And then certain players are given, you know, the, oh, here's the goofy, lovable guy who gets all the all the spotlight. But I'll end it on this. Um, half the things we've been saying about NHL coaches, we've been right. And I actually love Sheldon Keith because he is not a – he doesn't seem like an overbearing controlling coach. He knows what the issues are. He tries to get the players to work it out for themselves and not just, you know, try and be the, the genius in the room. And he just kind of lets things happen naturally. He's going to point out the mistakes when they happen. So I'm curious, you know, what didn't they show him doing in this doc? So it was just—it was just unflattering. <laughs> oh, well, there's plenty unflattering things about many a people, um, some of whom just don't care, like William Nylander, uh, and Frederick Anderson, who, you know, as he has moved on to you know my local NHL market, he's a guy you really don't know much about. Quiet, seems serious, seems hardworking, but he had an injury situation where it seemed like he was calling on calling the shots on when he was going to return. Which honestly is as it should be, but yes. most players don't get to do that. Yeah, it was just a very strange dynamic when we factor, you know, all the things Robin Leonard has come out and talked about this past weekend. What we're seeing happening with Jack Eichel drag on probably in perpetuity into the regular season. It's just just a fascinating dynamic. It just makes me wonder how long ago were certain scenes given the the green light to to air. Hmm. Because these episodes were distributed to members of the press for probably about one or two weeks ago. So... The coincidences are fascinating when you watch them in in retrospect to what's playing out in the media today. Yeah, there's a lot of like when it comes to sports in general, professional sports in general, men's sports, let me put it that way. There's a lot of there's a lot of egos, a lot of egotistical things going on, a lot of ego stroking there ever. There's just like it, it, it's all about feeding people's egos in the right way, but not in a healthy way. <laughs> so, I mean, not just like not just coaches and players and general managers, but also the media. In a, I mean, there's a there's kind of a, a joke that because it's partly true and it's partly not true, but you know, people. Men who become sports writers are failed athletes, right? Mm-hmm. They they just couldn't do it as kids or, you know, teenagers. And so they went into journalism so that they could, like, still be close to the sport that they love. Well, you know, there's a lot of, 
a lot of egotistical things involved in that because it's it's like, well, I may not be a player, but I, I'm as good as kind of silliness and for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's uh, as a woman who has been around the edges of that as a blogger and, you know, going to the NHL All-Star game in Carolina as a member of the media and sitting in press boxes with various people. It's very fascinating in a, wow, you really need to go to therapy kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> or you need to listen better to your therapist if you are going to therapy <laughs> or get a different therapist because the one you have isn't working. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a, it's, it's hilarious as a woman sitting back and watching all of it play out. I'm just like, you guys have no idea what you're going, what, what's going on here. Do you? <laughs> no, it's as I've, I've been saying this a lot lately to different people. It's just, we're just making everything up as we're going along. Some of us are willing to admit it. Yeah. Some of us are willing to admit it. Those people, no, no. This is it, everything is by design, unless you lose oh, in game yeah. seven. Yeah, then it's then it's it's well, if you're a coach, then it's the player's fault. I've had everything written up just perfect. Um. <laughs> well, I, I think Sheldon Keith actually phrased it as we are right where we are supposed to be because we didn't take advantage of A, B, or C. But yeah, he said that. Mm -hmm. We being the players, not we being him. Um, no, so I've, I've come to realize in regards to coaches, since we're talking coaches, <laughs> you did say that we would probably get back to that. Um, eh, I did tease it, unfortunately. Yeah, is that... Um, Coaches are not good people people. They don't have a whole lot of emotional intelligence and or they don't care to like exert it on their players because they tend to not understand what motivates their players and what makes their players better, like emotionally or mentally. And they just like it's all numbers game to them. Oh, we'll just do A and B. You know, line one is out. Line two is out. Yeah, you know, they don't. They don't actually – so, like, a classic example, and I've seen this over the years repeatedly, different players, is coaches will use ice time or, you know, position on the roster as motivation to, like, get a player to play better. They, they think the player's not playing better. Um, and so, you know, so they'll have, like, a first line or get dropped down to the third line kind of thing. And the player doesn't improve. And they can't figure out why. So the player ends up staying on the third line for like weeks, months, because the player's not improving. And it's like, that's because that particular player probably does better with praise than punishment. So you're punishing them and they're thinking they deserve it rather than motivating them to do better. <laughs> Cassie, are you sure you didn't watch this documentary? Because you are, ex you're describing the exact scenario with Ilya Mikheyev that happened in this this doc. No, I've just seen it, it, it multiple it, times over the years. That's yeah. all. 
So, so when people sit back and wonder, are we right about these things that, that happen in the NHL? And the answer is yes. This stuff isn't that complicated. But what happens is everything is compressed and compartmentalized and crazy layers of abstraction, whether it be assistant coaches or other team personnel that are kind of factored into the, the equation. It just makes it all confusing and more complicated. And, and then and then on top of that, it's all like the worst parts of toxic masculinity. Now, masculinity by itself has good parts. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's like they're they're good men doing good manly things. Don't you know, that's that's I'm not saying all men are toxic because they're not. But uh, but like when you get to a point where you're in charge of people, if you're a man in charge of other men and you have no concept of what motivates people or, you know, gets the best out of them because you were raised to, to the point where you're, you know, emotions except for anger and happiness are bad, then you're not going to be a good coach <laughs> because you're not going to know what motivates your players or care to know to motiv- what motivates your players. And the players, some of them, again, not all, you know, probably were raised in a similar way. And so some of them, will respond better to that type of coaching because that's what they expect. And others are not going to because they were raised in a healthier environment as kids. And so they don't understand if they're playing okay, why they're being punished. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's basic psychology here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which begs the question Why the heck do these teams insist on bringing 50, upwards of 60 players to a training camp that's less than, you know, three full weeks when they already know 95% of their, their roster where they could, they could spend that extra, I don't know, two hours and learn something about the 20 individuals. They probably need to focus on the most. Because it's performative, like so many things in the NHL are. It's all about, well, let's bring in all of our prospects and see what we've got when they have no idea how to develop prospects. Mm-hmm. Which I was having a conversation with with someone over the summer, and it's, why aren't the NHL coaches the ones running those rookie tournaments, rookie camps, as an attempt to get to learn and and figure out their prospects because a save you a little time and money because that's, that's the NHL business model and B it's probably a better use of your time in August or honestly, why aren't we doing this in July? A la, I don't know, NBA summer league because ways they could do this. Because you would have, they would first have to acknowledge the fact that other people have emotions that they need to manage. Oh, yeah. And it would have to admit that, okay, um, Ken Holland's brilliant idea of these rookie tournaments right before training camp, while has some merit, just doesn't have a great place in the modern-day NHL anymore. 
And they would also have to admit that they actually don't know how to develop players. In order to be able to figure out how to develop players, you have to admit there's a problem before you can fix it. Yeah. Well, the problem is we're plucking the best of the best who have never been asked. Theoretically. (laughs) Excuse me. We're we're propping up the most publicized and groomed players who weren't put into certain situations at a young age. Into new situations that they have no idea what to do and they don't know how to get out of their own way. They've only known how to do things one way and they're not versatile. So it's unstoppable force, unmovable object, stubborn masculinity, just car crashing i mean it's it's again you would have to have a coach admit that the hockey is not instinctive and it's not something that you're quote-unquote born with knowing about no and and do what you do in every single job anywhere else i guess i should say and recognize that there's a three-month training period to get everybody up to where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they don't do that. They're no. like, oh, no, you're supposed to – we're just supposed to drop you in and you're supposed to work and automatically know what's going to happen and how it's going to – you know, how what you're supposed to do and all of that. And it's like – because it's hockey. Hockey is simple. People can just figure it out. It'll be fine. And it's like – Okay, first of all. (laughs) Meanwhile, we're overly specializing in it and having people create these crazy personal vocabularies for simple skills like a pivot or a wrist rotation. I mean, that that was bound to happen when you start doing like, quote unquote, compete level, which is stupid because it's like... No, it it was bound to happen when... And, oh, we can make an individual better by doing some one-on-one training with them rather than working on the breakout for upteenth million times. So the specialty coach, the skills coach that individuals have to hire during the summers using their own money to get better. Now, the only time that any individual gets any individual one-on-one coaching time is if it has to do with their shot or has to do with a face-off. That is it. It's like and, you're not you're not like sitting there saying, okay, in this situation, where are you supposed to be? And trying to work out, you know, positionally what the, what is expected of them with the group that they're with. I mean, it's it's like the whole no one knows what to do with defenders because no one sits there and thinks because they have everything broken out as distinct individual groups. So the forwards are distinct. The defenders are distinct. The goalies are distinct. It's like, no, they're all one team and they interact with each other and you need to coach that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what would Somewhere along the road, these players need to have been playing in a different position so they just understand. Because in other sports, your physical qualities sometimes eventually get you to a position. But there are so many skilled players in colleges who, you know, may have been their high school and college quarterbacks at, at school that have to convert 
in, into a different position when they get to an NFL team. Wide receiver. You know, baseball players, they kind of do it all, and then they have to specialize once they get to the professional leagues where, you know, in theory, everything kind of normalizes and you're not the best of the best and you can't do all these things. So let's kind of pick and choose. In hockey, it works the opposite. They haven't figured out that transition into the pros. Or honestly, into junior hockey. Like, I think junior hockey is probably the biggest hurdle holding this league back besides the hockey men. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, because junior hockey in Canada, parts of the U.S., um, is supposed to emulate NHL, the NHL experience, which... One, oh my God, that is so wrong to put like 16 year olds through. And two, um, it doesn't. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's like it's damaging enough for college guys to end up in the professional leagues. I mean, you put 16 year olds into that sort of environment, no wonder they're so messed up. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it starts with Bantam, really. Oh no, it starts well before that, and that's a scary thing. Yeah, I, it's just because everyone like, tries to emulate the NHL because that's what everybody wants to get to, and it's like, yes. no, no, where you know, no, no, no. <laughs> locally, the travel hockey organization based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, has thirty-one different travel teams. For various levels and leagues and age groups. So even as young as eight years old, they're conditioned to being part of a singular program with a certain set of coaches. Traveling every weekend, going to the same places. And if you improve, okay, some of the options become bigger as in, oh, you get to go play different teams, maybe further away. Sometimes you get to go on a plane and I just want to hit my head against my desk thinking about it. Talk about stunting everyone's emotional growth. Mm-hmm. And when you're, <laughs> Social you're skills plucking are gone. and choosing eight <laughs> to 10 year old players based on something they're doing better than their peers just in that moment, that it isn't necessarily skill. Or the ability to read plays. It's you are the fastest and you can hold on the puck because you currently might have a physical advantage over someone in your age group. Oh, and and then there's also the, oh, I know your parents, so come come play. Oh, yeah. I mean, nepotism is anything. There's a dollar to be made. There's nepotism. But then there's also the door closing of, oh, you started this too late. Right, and then you have, like, NHLers. Oh, I didn't start playing hockey formally until I was, like, 15. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. But it's you hear cool. about that in other other sports where it's, yeah, I really didn't transition to this until 8 or 10 years ago. But I was a good enough athlete, and I built enough awareness just from, you know, hand-eye coordination, let's say. They can figure it out because, once again, hockey is not that complicated. We just build up a bunch of garbage around it to make it seem that way for our own or certain individuals' own self-gratification. Self-importance, more, most likely. Yeah. 
It's like, oh, you know, I'm an important person, narcissism. I'm an important person, and so this must be really important. So let's make it even more important, you know, small small uh, egos and big ideas. Um, yeah, now it's – I mean, there's something wrong with all, like, kid sports. Like, all of them. There's – I mean, you know, Little League – Baseball isn't exactly the the best place for a kid to be either. Um, you know, peewee football, um, soccer. Soccer's probably the healthiest, at least in the United States, like mentally healthiest. <laughs> Every everything in youth sports has an issue. It's just... right, right, and and a lot of those issues are the parents, but. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, I don't know. I kind of, I started watching hockey with junior hockey. And um, I knew some of the players on the junior team. Uh, I was the same age. And so I got to see the inside of that a little bit. And I wasn't terribly impressed. And so I think, honestly, all of hockey would be better without junior hockey. I think it it should be, and I'm not saying the American model is perfect, but, you know, it's like middle school, high school, college, because at least you get some maturity involved in that, and you're interacting with, with your peers and people of another gender, and, uh, you know, you're more emotionally mature by the time that you hit professional leagues. Theoretically, I think that it, it, you know, draft age should probably be up to 20, to be honest. But well, my biggest thing is the the draft need along with junior hockey shifting. The draft needs to change. But that's a whole nother episode for another day. So, yeah, I mean, I think junior hockey is a lot more damaging than people recognize or want to recognize. And we can admit that junior hockey didn't produce Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid produced himself because he lived it with a family of means in Ontario. And he was just, from what it seems and what his family is willing to say, he was just driven. His parents could cut the checks. Right. It's like what's his face, uh, Matthews in, in Toronto. Was, yeah. It's even more of uh, I mean, he has his own issues. But he's an even better he example does. because he grew up in Arizona. Yeah. And, and the way that documentary portrayed his parents, it's very much like, yeah, this is what he wanted to do. So I was like, okay. You know, that's those are self-made players because they're mm-hmm. driven to do it. But how many guys are in the NHL collecting a paycheck because they can? They're not thrilled with doing it, but it's one of those, well, I'm here and I made it and I can get good money out of it, so I guess I'll keep doing it. Yep. You know? May not love it, may not be driven to do it, but, you know. And, of course, if fans hear that, they're going to be like, how dare he? He's supposed to, like, live. He's living the dream. He's supposed to love every minute of it. It's like, oh, come on. (laughs) You 
if if you you know happen to go to university and major in a subject that you really were passionate about and then you worked in the field for 10 years tell me how you really feel about it today oh no that's another episode i can't do that right now <laughs> fair enough <laughs> all right I, th- I think on that note it's probably time to pull the shoot all right um, i'm assuming you have a question that, I, I do i have something in mind since i right. you know I had to watch it. I didn't have to watch, but I was curious about a documentary based in the center of the hockey universe. Or like, so they like to think. They never use that phrase, but. But That's what they like to think. (laughs) If you were to see a five hours worth of documentary footage of another team, who do you want it to be? Who should be the narrator? This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.